Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Inspire Church, a new inspirational and motivational broadcast that strives to empower men in a positive way. Designed to educate, empower, and inspire even the busiest individual on the go over that first cup of coffee. Please join me in welcoming Gunter Swoboda, international psychologist, author, speaker, and producer. Welcome everybody to another episode of Inspire Change. So in the last episode, I was talking about beginning to understand your son. And uh, I had a couple of comments from from, uh, listeners about, you know, how much of this actually applies to girls. And obviously, there are some differences in between raising a boy and raising a girl. But fundamentally, ultimately, the issue is not so much about gender, but about relationship, and that is the parent relationship to the child. And the focus that I'm, you know, suggesting in our relationship with our kids is fundamentally one of attachment. And this might sound obvious, but in practice, in reality, it isn't actually that obvious to the point where, you know, there's, there's a book that I've been suggesting to people and that I've been really, really, really impressed with, which is Hold On To Your Kids by Gabor Mate and Gordon Neifeld, um, two very prominent people in the field of developmental psychology and family uh, health, medical health and psychological health. So I'm going to move on to taking the topic into adolescence, partly because, you know, for a large part of this year, I've been dealing with um, adolescent boys who've been in varying ways uh, impacted by the COVID-19 and the lockdown uh, and the impact that that's had on their mental health. But I want to remove that issue about COVID for a moment and just talk a bit about what's important uh, as a parent in my relationship with my teenager, especially teenage son. Uh, You know, to sort of, you know, start off with, I often get comments like, you know, somewhere around 13, 14, he lost his capacity to communicate. And I, I, I always have to smile at that a little bit because he actually hasn't lost it. What he's doing is actually detaching. Now, therein lies a bit of a problem because we have a very prevailing myth in our culture that that is normal behaviour. Adolescents detach from the family. And uh, I, I want to really focus on challenging that idea. That is not a given. And I'm going to go through why that's not a given. And then in the next couple of podcasts, I want to talk about what is it that we need to do as parents to to refocus on our attachment with our child, with our teenager, 
uh, and especially with boys, uh, from my perspective, because that's the group that I mostly work with, uh, and off, and often gets themselves into a lot bigger trouble than what girls do. Okay, uh, and and unfortunately, some of the boys don't grow out of this very very well. Most do, and that's the optimistic message in this, is that ultimately a lot of the stuff that's, that as parents we're sort of trying to deal with and getting conflict with them about and so on tends to be temporary. But in the moment it's like overwhelming and, and looms above us and, you know, the intensity uh, of the the conflict and, and the pain that as parents we often feel uh, is quite enormous, and especially if feeling rejected by our child in whom we've invested so much into. And I'm not talking about money, okay, put that aside. I'm talking about time and love and affection and, and, and support, okay. Now, in that context, one of the questions that arises is what sort of support is necessary. So I'm going to come back to some of this as we go along. Right now, one of one of the things that I want to establish uh, is that essentially um, secure attachment is fundamental to the neurological, physical, psychological, and social and cognitive development of kids, including and up to late adolescence. Okay, so from a neurological point of view, the brain's going through massive changes, you know, lots of explosions of connections and so on. Uh, and secure attachment facilitates that in a, in a really important way. Um, so let me, let me talk about that whole sort of parent-adolescent-adolescent-parent attachment. Okay, so the goal is secure attachment. Now, for some reason or another, and I'm not going to go into details of that, in some parent-adolescent relationships, something's gone uh, on that has impaired that in some way or has, or has broken that connection. Now, I, I just want to assure parents that most of us don't intentionally set out to do that. In fact, what usually happens is that we end up there by default, often partly because of our own experience with our own parents. Sometimes it's because we have parenting styles that don't work very well. Being authoritarian uh, is not the right way to establish a secure attachment with your child. Uh, we need to be authoritative, which is a, a stark contrast to being authoritarian. But we also, at the same time, don't want to be laissez-faire either because that freaks most kids out because they have no idea what, you know, the, what the expectations are, reasonable or unreasonable, um, and, and how they can cope with that, okay? So point one, secure attachment is fundamentally associated to less engagement in high-risk behaviours. And it also means fewer mental health problems and better, higher, more developed social skills and coping strategies. Now, that's particularly important when you think back about what I was talking about with regard to peer orientation and the very core concept that Gabor Mate and Eiffel talk about. And I'm on board with this completely. You know, myth number two is that Adolescents need their peers. 
And some people go further and go, they need their peers more than they need their family. That's rubbish. It's an absolute fallacy to go along with that whole idea. Peers are not safe. One of the problems that I have to deal with on essentially a weekly basis is the distressed parents of a teenager who's completely embedded themselves into a group where the, the group basically is into some seriously bad stuff. It's not just drug use and alcohol use, but it's doing things like petty crimes, um, you know, like stealing, um, just you know, getting wasted together, encouraging other people to get wasted, tagging, all sorts of stuff, okay? Now, some of that behaviour, again, as I said earlier on, is going to die out but not if that team gets stuck in that peer group. Now, the other part of it, which is that not only is it on a practical level unsafe, it's emotionally unsafe because you only belong if you conform to the norm of the peer group. If you don't, you're immediately rejected and and put on the outer. Now, you're not necessarily ousted or ostracised out of the group, but you're given a hard time. And so lots and lots of teens live with this persistent feeling of social anxiety, unsure of what their peers think of them, what their, their peers expect of them. And so they keep you know, keep falling into this trap of trying to please everybody in the group and failing to do so inevitably. They just You can't please all the people all the time. We're all number one. Okay, so, you know, it's very hard for a teenager who sees this peer group as their entire world, their sort of reason for living in a sense. So one of the things that we need to um, look at in this is, okay, when there is no secure attachment for the adolescent between parent and them, what is likely to go on? Okay, and so... You know, there's a number of issues. Firstly, teens who are peer-oriented and who've detached from the family are much, much more likely to encounter um, physical and, and psychological health issues, including depression, anxiety, eating disorders, substance abuse, addiction. And so, you know... Including sex, you know, risky sexual behaviour. You know, it's it's an astonishing thing, but we know very, very well that girls who are family connected tend to uh, become sexually active at a much later time than those who aren't. So this is this is a really important aspect in understanding uh, adolescence in their context. Now. The other issue that we've got, apart from the fact that, you know, we're seeing lots and lots of physiological, neurological changes, um, is that we we need to get away from the idea that um, hormonal changes uh, account for behavioural changes during adolescence. Fundamentally, they don't. It's a very complex dynamic between, you know, the environment, the individual uh, and their biology. Okay, so we're not taking biology out of it. We're just saying it's not the driving factor. I often get, especially with boys, oh, it's all testosterone. Well, actually, it's not really. 
um, it's it's it leads us down a path that is not fruitful. Okay. So um, let's quickly take a snapshot about what happens for most adolescents as they enter adolescence. And what we get is about a 21% drop in waking hours spent with family between late childhood and middle adolescence. And that in that period, they reorient their attachment to peers and they look for support from peers. But in many respects, what we've got is a situation where the blind are leading the blind. It's not necessarily a very useful thing to happen. Um, so, so we need to remember that successful transition of adolescence is not basically through a detachment, a disconnect from parents. If they're going to be successful, it's because of our relationship. And so we, we need to really get into providing a secure base that allows a teenager to um, safely explore themselves intellectually, socially, and emotionally. We need to provide them. You know, it's, we talk a lot these days about emotional coaching, but we don't have influence unless we've got a strong attachment between each other. Right? So when I work with parents, the key thing is we need to focus on the attachment relationship in order to bring about inf greater level of influence wherein that teen learns those skills that they need. So, you know, coming back to insecure attachment is strongly associated with suicidality and aggressive and delinquent behaviour. So it's not just because they might have a diagnosis. It's actually located, you know, in the parent-adolescent relationship. And we need to explore that. So as a parent, one of the things that I need to be very conscious about is how do I experience my attachment to my spouse and my attachment and behaviours in, in my role as a parent with my child and teenager, okay? So, unfortunately, one of the big issues that I have to confront on, as I said, on a weekly basis is when parents get into conflict with kids about alcohol and, you know, drugs and gambling, Okay, and this is going to sound almost odd, but those issues are a symptom. They are not the cause. If we're going to get on top of that, both as uh, as parents but also as professionals, we need to create rapport. You know, we need to create a connection with that teenager again who's in that behaviour because he's detached from meaningful attached relationships with adults. And so that comes through parents, it comes through teachers, and it also comes through health professionals. Um, you know, I, I, as I said, I see this in my work on a weekly basis. Uh, and yes, one of the problems is that they're doing stuff that's illegal, and I completely get it. But ultimately, if I'm going to get that teenager to reconnect with me, I need to focus on what's going on emotionally, intellectually, and in the relationship with that teenager. And it doesn't help that, you know, certainly drugs 
are illegal, and I'm going to put my neck right on the block here and go, it is the least helpful social policy that we have that goes to destroying parent-child relationships. The other one, and again, I could be crucified for that, is homework. Now, it's a lot less of a problem than the whole legality with drugs. Um, but, you know, I've worked in drug and alcohol specifically, and if there's any drug that's going to make a huge amount of damage all around and be significantly problematic against an addiction, it's got to be alcohol. And in my experience, a lot of teenagers experiment with drugs and if they have a safe place to go to, will often disclose that and then come to the decision that ultimately that's not really not worthwhile doing. But also, in some instances, you know, some teenagers are angry with parents. And so, one of, so basically, as one put it, you know, one, one teen put it to me is, well, I'm going to stick it to them by doing this. Now, that's not exactly a rational, logical thought. Right, we have, but then teenagers often are not in a rational, logical space. They're in a reactive space, partly because at times, as a parent, I'm also reactive with them and towards them and against them. And so, you know, um, people often say, yeah, but I need to get on top of this problem now. It's really bad, you know, he's, he's not studying, you know, the school wants him to leave, all sorts of stuff. And my comment is, as a parent, I'm in it for the long game, not the short game. And, you know, I, I know there's going to be a reaction to this in some respects or another. And, I'm, you know, I'm not here to please everybody. I'm, I'm here to give you what science tells us. Um, if we're going to have healthy, well-adjusted, secure and uh, adolescents and adults, we need to rethink what we're doing on many, many different levels and in many different institutions. We're in for a shake-up otherwise. Our mental health statistics are not getting better. They're getting worse. COVID is just throwing a magnifying glass on it. It's a bit like finding an ant in an ant nest, holding the uh, magnifying glass over it, and the sun sh sun's rays hit it and then burns up the ant. That's what's happening at the moment. And it really concerns me. I mean, presentations to accident and emergency departments are up, you know, 30 40% with, you know, adolescents self-harming, uh, overdosing, attempting suicide, drug overdose, all sorts of stuff. Now, we need to create a society that's safe for teenagers and not something that is punitive in that regard. Now, I've got no problem if you break... The law, for example, like if you steal my car, I'm the first one to call the cops. Right? But when it comes to issues like drug use and abuse, that's a health issue. We need to deal with that from that perspective, a social issue. You know, it's only, you know, the, you know, the war on drugs has not done anything beneficial other than make a whole bunch of people very, very rich and an even bigger percentage of people very, very dead. So, um, this is not a rant. This is a um, warning and it's an encouragement for change. We need a turning point. 
both in our relationships as a whole, but in, in our community, in our institutions, and in our systems on how we deal with each other more compassionately, more effectively. Now, I know most parents love their kids, but they're at a loss because it's not just about them. It's the system that they're embedded in, wherein their ch children are embedded, and we, we need to get a lot more aligned and better attuned to each other in order to make that difference. Okay, in the next session, I'm going to dig deeper, and hopefully this has given you some real food for thought and possibly some impetus to change. Let's inspire change. Let's not keep doing the same thing that we've been doing over and over and over again, expecting different results. As someone said, it's a definition of insanity. And I don't prescribe to that very nicely or very well. So until next time, this is me signing off. Thank you for listening to Inspire Change with Gunter. Gunter Swoboda does individual and group coaching for men looking to grow. For more information on this and the global Making Good Men Great movement, check out goodmengreat.com to get into contact. If you have a topic for the show or would like to be a guest on the air, please email producers at Miranda at Nortainment.com. That's Miranda, M-I-R-A-N-D-A, at Nortainment, N-O-I-R-T-A-I-N-M-E-N-T.com. Thank you, and always keep inspiring change. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.